On this fourth Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of love, remembering the words of the prophet Isaiah. From Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 5, in days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the highest of the mountains. All of the nations shall stream to it. And Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, they shall not hurt or destroy on all God's holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Isaiah 35, verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And this week, we add from the words of Isaiah 7, 10 through 16. Look, the young woman is with child, and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. God is with us. Amen.
Good morning. You may be seated. It's my privilege to welcome you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to worship this Sunday morning. And we are glad that you are present with us or that you are joining us online. I'm Darwin Glassford. I'm the executive pastor here. And this morning, um, the message will be brought by Pastor um, JB, who normally preaches over for the Fusion community. Um, unfortunately, Pastor Bill um, tested positive for COVID late last week. And so he is at home with very mild symptoms. I am confident he is joining us online. So if you want to turn around and wave at the camera and say hi to Pastor Bill, you're free to do so. Since pa Pastor Bill is not here this morning, there'll be no follow-up conversation with him um, following the service, but we will be gathering for a time of fellowship, um, for coffee and for refreshments in the library area. And I trust that um, that'll be a, a welcome time. Um, if you're visiting with us, because if you're here regularly, you know, um, we do not take an offering. There are offering, off, giving an offering is part of an act of worship. And there are offering plates out in the back in the narthex if you would like to leave a gift there. Or you may learn more about how to give electronically at hardwick.com slash give. A few announcements this morning. Um, here we go. Number one, Aldea Coffee is here. And um, they have their partner in ministry, and they'll be set up out there in the hallway. Um, let me just comment. Their coffee is awesome. And if you enjoy our coffee on Sunday mornings, you are enjoying their coffee. This is the only church I've ever served in where I've had people comment, I'm coming back. I like the coffee. <laughs> um, so... Also, we have a family event this Wednesday night um, at 6 o'clock, a cookie um, decorating event, and that will be in the great room. Um, also want to mention, though there's not a slide, at 4.45, we've been meeting for a brief time um, of prayer and taking the Lord's Supper, um, just kind of a pause in the midst of the hectic ho um, holiday season. So we'll still be meeting this week at 4.45 down in the council room. Um, please feel free to join us. Okay, next, um, Christmas week. Wow, it's a busy week, isn't it? Um, we'll be gathering Christmas Eve here in the sanctuary for an acoustic service, and that will be at 6 o'clock, our acoustic candlelight service. Then on Christmas Day, we'll gather as a Hardwick community, all three worshiping communities together in this space um, for worship. And then New Year's Day, we'll be gathering together again as a larger community um, in the Anchor Building. Um, across the parking lot if you're visiting um, over yonder um, on New Year's morning at 10 o'clock um, for worship. On Christmas morning, we will be doing, um, as we have historically, um, our walk-up choir to sing the Hallelujah Chorus. So if you have any friends or neighbors or people who you think might just enjoy that, please feel free to invite them. And then if you want to connect, um, to Hardwick Ministries, or would like to add to the mailing list or more information, there is the number there. You can um, go to the website or you can text connect to that number. All right, let us um, now um, you confess our faith together um, by responding to Heidelberg Catechism question 35. The Catechism asks this question, what does it mean that he, the Son of God, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? that the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, looked to himself through the working of the Holy Spirit.
Let us stand and sing together. Let all mortal flesh keep silence. And number 821. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. The psalmist writes, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Gracious Father, we come to you this morning as your people. We come to you as a community of your people that dwells in Holland, Michigan, but that is part of a much larger family, the family of God that is spread throughout the world. As our world pauses this time of year to celebrate Christmas, we pray that the true light of Christ would shine, that the things that we desire in our lives, justice, peace, righteousness, holiness, come from you. They are rooted in your very character. And so though we desire to create them, We cannot create them unless we root them in who you are and what you have done for us and your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we look at the Advent candles that have been lit, may your Holy Spirit burn in our hearts. May your Holy Spirit enable us to remember that as your people, that we belong to you, that we are being formed by you, and that we are called to follow you faithfully in all the days of our lives. And so, Lord, as a community here that dwells in the midst of Holland, 
May we shine the light of Christ. May we be a people who the love of Christ exudes from in our relationships with each other, in our relationships with our neighbors, in our relationships with those that we encounter. May we be a people who are looked at. May we be a people who people think about. May we be a people who people wonder, how can they be so gracious? How can they be so kind? How can they be so generous in a world filled with such turmoil? And we would merely respond. We love because Christ first loved us. Help us then to be a people of gratitude, a gracious people, a loving people, and a kind people because of what Christ has done in our lives. And as we, as we ponder that, as we think about the world around us, as we sometimes wonder, how do we pray? Help us to be a people who take to heart the Lord's prayer in all areas of our lives. For when the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? Jesus responded, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. Are there any children going to children's ministry this morning? If so, you may um, head to the back. Miss Janet is back there waving her hand in the only in the way that Miss Janet can wave her hand. And there he goes. All right. Thank you very much. And um, this morning, again, we're pleased to welcome to the pulpit um, Pastor JB. So, JB, I invite you up to bring God's word to us and to help us celebrate the Lord's Supper. Well, don't take my notes, though. Oh. That, would be, that would be scary for me. I think I've had, like, I think it's just this one. Okay. I think I've had nightmares where my notes get walked off, and I'm like, ah! Be a pretty good practical joke. That would be, that would be a good one. <laughs> Merry Christmas, you know? <laughs> hey, good morning, friends. Can I get a good morning? Good morning. Hey, appreciate that as I kind of get these things organized. I am Pastor JB, typically uh, preach at the uh, Fusion uh, Worshiping Community, but it is a delight to be with you this morning, uh, though unexpected and uh, somewhat unfortunate um, circumstances, it is good to be here. Uh, I played basketball back in high school, which was many years ago, and I played for four years, uh, Brown Deer, Wisconsin. I wasn't very good. Um, but I tried really hard. And uh, that, that, that made me kind of like the sixth man. And so this morning, uh, uh, I, here I am kind of coming off the bench. And I'm kind of used to that role. And so it's good. But uh, in seriousness, um, it is good to be part of this community. And uh, for moments like this, to be part of a pastoral team uh, that can fill in, lift one another up, it is a, a beautiful thing. And if, if, if you recognize that, can I just get an amen? Amen. It is a beautiful thing. Hey, uh, 
a busy week, uh, lots of, of good things, but I think that's also part of why these combined worship services are, are a delight and a wonderful thing. So I hope we all take advantage of the, the combined services that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, just to kind of get us caught up, uh, last week we shifted our focus, if you remember, uh, from the story. We've been using this resource to the story, and we began zeroing in on the prophet Isaiah considering the words of the prophet and how they direct our hearts to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, last week we considered Isaiah chapter 11. And if you remember, the, the passage was the, the shoot from the root of Jesse that would produce some fruit. Uh, a lot of rhyming words there. That's kind of fun. Next week, we're going to shift our focus to Isaiah 9, one of the, the well-known passages that point us to Christmas. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That's, that's next week, Christmas weekend. Uh, but this morning, we, we kind of shift our focus several chapters, many chapters to the right in your Bibles. Uh, we'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. Now, it's important to recognize that in Isaiah, 50, or Isaiah chapter 40, uh, continuing through chapter 66, the rest of the book of Isaiah, there's some new themes that rise to the surface. And these new themes really, really are, are a, all a stream of hope that move toward God's kingdom that is to come. Right in the middle of these chapters are a series of songs about this servant, there's four servant songs in the book of Isaiah that speak of how God's redemptive plan will be fulfilled. How do we get to that kingdom that is to come? And all of them are written in kind of this poetry with lots of imagery, and so it can kind of be difficult to interpret. Uh, but this is where we're going to jump this morning. We're going to be looking at... My phone, my watch is talking to me. I don't know. All right. We got all kinds of unexpected things. Uh, but we are going to be jumping right into Isaiah 52 and 53, which is known as the passage about the suffering servant. This is the fourth of the four servant poems in the book of Isaiah. Often these are words that we reserve and save for Easter weekend, particularly Good Friday, and in a moment you'll see why. Uh, but as remembered last week, Pastor Bill did a beautiful job last week talking about biblical prophecy and how biblical, the prophets spoke to a, a specific time and place, uh, but by the work of the Spirit, their words continued to carry meaning and significance for generations to come. And so as the people of God uh, during the time of Jesus heard these words from the prophet Isaiah, man, there was some significance and meaning as they anticipated Jesus Christ. But even for us 2,000 years later, these words of the prophets continue to carry meaning. Amen. And so this morning, we are just going to walk through Isaiah 52 and 53. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it and turn to Isaiah 52. If you don't have a Bible, I believe there's some in the pews in front of you. Uh, but just open to Isaiah 52. We're not going to have any slides, no PowerPoint slides, because we're just going to be walking through the Scriptures. And uh, I think we can all agree that the Scriptures are better than any PowerPoint presentation I can come up with. Amen. Yeah, amen, absolutely. So this morning, we're just going to begin by reading Isaiah 52, verse 7 together, and then we're going to just continue to walk through uh, these passages. Uh, it, if you're willing, if you're able, I invite you to stand as we honor God speak to us uh, through his word. Isaiah 52, verse 7. The prophet says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. 
who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. As we were reminded last week and, and once again this week, we thank you that, that your word by the power of the Holy Spirit continued to speak truth, continued to speak the word of God to the people of God for generations and generations. May these words as we read, as we listen, continue to speak and reverberate in our hearts to remind us of the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the, uh, one of the privileges I have uh, during the week is uh, I am the one, this is a privilege, but also it doesn't always feel like a privilege, one of those things, but every week I'm the one that, that brings our kids to school uh, every school morning, just about every morning. And the reason for that is the school is, is right on the way into the office here at church, and so I have this privilege of spending those, those 10, 12 minutes in the car with my kids. Sometimes, like I said, it doesn't always feel like a privilege. But it is a privilege, amen? It is a privilege. And uh, the last several weeks, um, it's Christmas season, and so on the radio, Christmas songs have been playing I, I'm, I, at least three or four times during that 10 to 12 minute window, a particular song has come up on the radio. It is uh, Josh Groban. You know Josh Groban? You familiar? wonderful singer, uh, but it's Josh Groban's rendition of O Holy Night. Are you familiar? Uh, okay, anyone else? O Holy Night, like your favorite Christmas song? It's like one of mine. It's at least top five. It's just a wonderful song. Uh, and Josh Groban does an excellent job. So the song comes on the radio, kids are in the back seat, and of course I'm feeling inspired, and so I begin to sing along with Josh Groban. And if you're singing with Josh Groban, you kind of got to sing like Josh Groban. Um, anyone confident in my ability to do that? No one's raising their hand, okay? So I start singing, Oh, holy night, right? Like Josh Groban. And you can just imagine my kids' response, right? Do you, what do you think they did? No, what? They were like, Dad, your voice is like the voice of an angel. You just get us in the Christmas. No, you're right. Jane's right. Dad, stop singing. Dad! That's what they gave me. Thank you, kids. Uh, I could not say to them, you raised me up. That's called a dad joke, and it was okay. Anyway, what are my kids saying? Dad, stop singing. Basically what they're saying, my interpretation is, Dad, the song is just fine by itself. We don't need you adding your own little rendition or your voice to the song. The song stands alone just fine. Let us listen. In that same spirit this morning, Isaiah 52 and 53 stand alone. Uh, don't really require much commentary, much additional words on my behalf. We'll give some of that. But really this morning what we want to do is just spend some time in God's word this morning, listening and letting the words of the prophet speak to us this morning. You see, as I was immersing myself in Isaiah this week, I was struck by how chapters 52 and 53 become this beautiful lens 
through which we view the whole gospel narrative of Jesus. One way of framing the gospel narrative would be crown, cro- or excuse me, cradle, crown, and cross. Have you heard that breakdown? The cradle, the, the, the coming of the Christ child, the cross, the good news of, of Jesus Christ's own death on the cross, and then the crown, the resurrection and the return where Jesus Christ would reign. This is a picture of the gospel. And this morning what we're simply going to do is listen to Isaiah 52 and 53 alongside Luke's gospel. And so if, as you have your Bibles open, if you want to just kind of uh, find Luke's gospel, we're going to be kind of going back and forth this morning to remember well the good news of Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, and awaited return, cradle, cross, and crown. And so let's begin with the text from Isaiah that we read this morning. These first verses admittedly are not technically part of the fourth servant song. You'll see in the Bible, if you have it open, there's kind of a breakdown. Verses 7 through 10 aren't really part of that servant song, but man, they resonate with the Christmas story. And in particular, these words that we read just a moment ago really resonate with with the, particularly with the angel's pronouncement to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and following. Uh, Let's just look at how they mirror each other. Chapter 52 of Isaiah, verse 7, reads this way, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, really that same word, good news, that is, that is of tov, if you know the Hebrew, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns, literally your God is king. Now flip over to Luke chapter 2 and beginning in verse 10, the angels said to them, referring to the shepherds, this is what the angels proclaim, do not be afraid, I bring you what? Good news that will cause great joy. Can you hear good tidings there? For all the people. Today in the town of David, a a Savior, salvation, has been born to you. He is the Messiah, another word for king. The Lord, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Are you hearing those parallels? I I imagine that the shepherds hearing these angels' words would they have had in the back of their mind the words of the prophet? I don't know that for sure, but I wonder. Jumping ahead, going back to Isaiah 52, verse 9, the prophet writes, Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Burst into songs of joy. What happens next in Luke chapter 2? Verse 13 says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. And what do they do? They begin bursting into songs of joy. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Man, these just, I don't know, they just resonated in my own imagination maybe, but I don't know, maybe you're catching it as well. And then we jump ahead to Isaiah 52 where this servant song actually begins. Verse 13 we read, See my servant will act wisely. The Hebrew there literally is will prosper. See my servant will prosper. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. So we're going to talk about the servant who suffers. But in verse 13 of chapter 52 we see that the servant will prosper and he'll be raised up and lifted high. And what happens at Christ's birth 
angels pronouncing praise and glory to God in the highest. And we have this picture of the cradle, the Christmas story, and I think we just need to pause and say, wow. You want to say wow with me? Wow. Right? That did not sound like, wow. Can we give a little more? Wow. Yeah, there we go. Wow. Certainly Christmas includes the praise and worship of this Christ child, an incredible moment in history. So yes, we gather during Advent and during Christmas to join our voices with the voices of the angels and the shepherds sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, a Savior, a King foretold to come, right? But what we know, because these, these stories are familiar, is we also understand that Christ's birth includes some curious aspects, Right? Like, there's something a little different about the birth of this king. Surely there's angels singing, but they're singing to who? Shepherds, lowly shepherds. Where, where most other, everyone else in Bethlehem seems to be oblivious to what's happening. Not only that, but we understand the circumstances around which Jesus Christ was, was conceived. Uh, this kind of a community rumblings of scandal. Mary and Joseph becoming pregnant before mar- right, marriage. Then this child is placed in, in a feeding trough for animals and, and to, a, to this poor couple from the region of Galilee, Nazareth, who end up fleeing to Egypt for their lives. Like, there's something unusual and peculiar about the birth of this king. It's not your typical royal birth, right? We had a royal birth a few years ago, Will and Kate. BBC coverage, like they couldn't get enough of it, right? This is different. This helpless child then would grow up in obscurity. Once grown, he would begin teaching, he'd begin healing, he would call disciples to follow him, and Jesus then would show his disciples and the rest of the world a road most unexpected. And this is where we step into Isaiah chapter 53, because Isaiah 53 goes on to tell us about this servant about how he would fulfill this good news of salvation and peace. And once again, peculiar, unexpected, even disturbing. But Isaiah 53 offers the clearest resonating summary of Jesus' work on the cross found in all of the Hebrew scriptures. Instead, once again, instead of trying to find grand conclusions, we're just going to let the text guide our own spiritual imagination to let the Spirit remind us of how loved we are by God by reminding us of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. And before we jump into Isaiah 53, uh, flip over to the book of Luke chapter 9. It's important to recognize that throughout Jesus' ministry, he understood where this ministry would lead him. Three different times in the gospel accounts, Jesus predicts what would happen to him. The first of which in Luke's account is chapter 9, verse 20 and following. They're talking about who is Jesus. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Peter's getting it, right? Verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And then he said, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus knew what lay before him. And now let's listen to the words of the prophet, which describes what our Lord Jesus endured for you and for me. Isaiah 53, verse 2, begins this way. 
He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Does that sound familiar? Last week, this is a continuation of Isaiah chapter 11, the root of Jesse. This is the same man. We continue reading. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. You see, even Jesus' physical appearance was unremarkable, according to the prophet Isaiah. He did not grow up with privilege, but instead was familiar with pain, being despised, being rejected, being looked down upon by others. As we remember what Jesus did on our behalf, we remember, friends, that Jesus Christ knows our pain. And not just the physical pain that we endure, but Jesus Christ also knows the emotional pain of rejection. And that's significant. But not only does he understand our pain, but Isaiah 53 continues, verse 4, if you're following along. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus Christ took upon himself our pain, the suffering we deserved. He took upon himself the punishment we deserved for our own sin. Did you hear those words? Pierced, crushed, stricken, afflicted in our place, in my place, in your place. Because as Isaiah continues, the reality is, verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here's the reality, friends. Just like the people of Israel who rebelled against God's covenant centuries ago, each of us is guilty of the same. Thinking we know best, Chasing after those things we think will serve us and bring us happiness. And in the process, we hurt those we love and we make a mess of our own lives. And here's the other reality. There's nothing we can do to make it right. But Jesus Christ came on Christmas morning for a greater purpose because there was only one way to bring redemption to a broken world. He needed to stand in the gap. Verse 7, the prophet continues. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. 
Our Lord Jesus faced accusation, humiliation. He could have spoken up. He could have said a word and it all have stopped. But he remained silent. And our Lord Jesus willingly carried his own cross. He willingly walked toward his own death on Calvary, even though he was completely innocent. Our Lord Jesus Christ unjustly, brutally crucified. Friends, I know that's, that's not our typical Christmas story. That's not the typical story we retell this time of year, a story filled with, with joy and farm animals and shepherds and, and whimsy, right? But this is why Jesus, this is why the Messiah King, the Christ child, the suffering servant came into this world to die a humiliating death on the cross for you and for me. You see, the reason we have the cradle is because it would eventually lead Jesus to the cross. And this is a reality that we must not forget during Christmas, right? You've heard the saying, which is, is a good one, keep, keep Christ in Christmas, right? That's, we, that's good, yep, we should keep Christ center in our Christmas celebrations. But what about keeping the cross as part of our Christmas celebrations as well? Now, of course, we understand that it's cradle, cross, but it doesn't end at the cross, right? Hallelujah, amen? But the crown, the resurrection, the return of Jesus Christ. Let's continue reading in Isaiah 53 as it begins to direct our hearts to the resurrection and the return of Jesus. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. According to Isaiah, this suffering servant who has died, did this according to God's will. It was part of God's plan that Jesus Christ would suffer and die. But picking up in verse 11, this, we learn that this servant would, would see the light of life and would receive a portion among the great. In other words, the servant of God, Jesus Christ, would live again and would receive glory. Again, connect this to Luke's gospel. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he offers this epilogue of sorts to his disciples in Luke 24, verses 44 and following, if you want to turn there with me. But I will read it. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. This is part of God's plan. 
He told them this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is that this has been part of God's plan from the beginning. Cradle cross and now crown. And the resurrected Jesus Christ is now crowned as Lord, as King over all the earth. But what does Jesus say to his disciples? That this message of the kingdom, a message of repentance and forgiveness, must now go out to the nations. And this leads right into the book of Acts and the the, the growth of the early church. Because Jesus sends his disciples out in mission because why? Because the kingdom of God is bigger than this small group of disciples who are with Jesus in that moment. And this kingdom of God is even greater than the nation of Israel. Praise God, right? Because that means the kingdom of God includes you and me, right? Here's where I think that the book of Revelation becomes helpful. Because we are in this age where we're waiting Christ's return. The book of Revelation becomes helpful. Last week at Fusion, we we looked at Revelation 4 and 5. Here I'm going to try to sum up a lot of dense things. This is not all there is to say. Uh, But John has this vision of heaven in Revelation 4 and 5. If you remember, there's a throne. Surrounding the throne are these four creatures, 24 elders. They're all giving praise to God. We get to chapter 5. And we hear that that there's no one worthy to open this scroll. There's a scroll with seven seals on it. Containing that scroll is the keys to the kingdom, essentially how the kingdom will be restored on earth. And John begins weeping because no one is worthy to open the scroll. And then he hears something. And there's this, 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 what he hears and what he sees that we explored. He hears one of the elders begin proclaiming these prophecies of old. There is one who's worthy. It's the Lion of Judah. There is one who's worthy. The Root of Jesse, right, from the Lion of David. He has triumphed. And he's like, all of these Old Testament prophecies, yes, the Messiah is worthy. But then John looks, and do you know what he sees? Revelation 5 says that he looked and he saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slain. Because the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies were not what they anticipated. It was in the form of Jesus Christ laying down his life on a cross. We fast forward to Revelation 6 and 7. And in Revelation 7, we again begin to see this seeming discrepancy between what John hears, Old Testament expectations, and what John saw, the kingdom reality. Let's quickly look. Again, I'm summarizing a lot. There's a lot more here. But Revelation 6 retells the Lamb and opens six of the seven seals and all kinds of things happen. We get to Revelation 7 where we consider who's part of this kingdom vision. We pick up in verse 2. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Verse 3. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. Who are the servants of God? Then I heard, John hears, the number of those who were sealed. 144,000, all from the tribes of Israel. Okay? Then he goes on to list 12 tribes, each of which have 12,000 of those sealed. This is all, right, Old Testament expectations, the tribe of Israel. 12 times 12,000, math experts, 144,000. That's our number. 
But what comes next? This is where I want us to focus. What does John see? Immediately after listing the 12 tribes, verse 9 picks up. After this, I looked. And what did he see? There before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. One of the elders goes on to explain to John that this multicultural multitude are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Forgiveness in Jesus Christ, right? Therefore, verse 15, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb of God is at the center of the throne, and he will be their shepherd. The Lamb is enthroned. And he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Maybe we need to say, wow. Wow. <laughs> A vision of the kingdom of God where Christ rules as king, the one who seats, is seated upon the throne. One we live in today and one we anticipate will fully come when Jesus Christ returns, a diverse, multi-ethnic gathering of the redeemed living in perfect peace under the reign and rule of the Lamb who sits upon the throne. This is the vision of the kingdom, cradle, cross, and crown. See, friends, there are a lot of add-ons that come with Christmas, Hopefully for your sake, one of them will not be listening to me sing Josh Groban's rendition of O Holy Night. Amen. The truth is, this cherished story of Christ's birth really doesn't need all the extras we bring. The story, the reality of the incarnation is enough on its own. Again, I would encourage you to make that a central part of your celebration this Christmas. I think the combined services that are going to be here next weekend are a great way to do that. But find other ways to keep Christ and the birth of Jesus Christ central to your Christmas celebrations. And also remember this Christmas that the cradle is only the first part of the story. As miraculous and as beautiful and as wonderful it is that God took on flesh and entered our broken world as a vulnerable child, that's, it's, worth it, it's worth celebrating every year, absolutely. Don't hear me wrong. But it's only the first part of the story. It's the cradle that would lead to the cross that would allow Jesus Christ to wear a crown, not only today in this moment, for all eternity. Friends, this is our story. This is our good news. This is our peace. This is our salvation. No add-ons needed, right? Amen? And honestly, I can't think of a better way to remember the core of this good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, than to come to the table of our Lord for Holy Communion. But before we do that, will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for how the words of the prophet continue to to resonate with our hearts and our souls and, and begin to give us this word of hope in what is to come in Jesus Christ. We thank you during this Christmas season that, Lord Jesus, you came into this world, but Lord, you came into this world in order to save us and redeem us and to offer us forgiveness by your blood. And so, Lord, as, as we celebrate Christmas, as we remember the, the miracle of the incarnation. Lord, may we also have eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ and what that means for our lives both now and forever. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to come to your table this morning, Spirit, do a work. Remind us of that grace. Remind us of the love you have for each of us so that in partaking we might be transformed by your spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Just some brief instructions. You probably know better how this works than me. Um, But we'll come forward to partake, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, partake, and come back to your seats. If you would need to or prefer to participate at your seat, just simply raise your hand and the elements will be brought to you. Friends, we gather around this table, this table of the Lord Jesus Christ to partake in this bread and this cup because we so easily forget the good news of the gospel that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again from the grave, and that Jesus will come again and make all things new. It's easy for this reality to get lost in the holiday busyness and all the goodness that's part of the holiday season, but this table reminds us of why Jesus Christ came, why he entered into this world as a babe in Bethlehem, to die for our sins and to reconcile us to the Father. And so we remember that last night with his disciples, our Lord Jesus, that night he would be betrayed. He took the bread, and after giving thanks to God, he he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Christ took the cup, saying this cup As a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. We come to the table of our Lord remembering that the body of Christ and the blood of Christ was given for a complete forgiveness of all of our sins. We come in the grace and love of our Savior. Amen. I invite our servers to come forward, and as they are ready, you are invited to come and partake and receive this gift of grace.
We're going to sing together. I was just realizing I mentioned earlier favorite Christmas songs, Oh Holy Night. And then we went and sang, listened to thank you guys, Silent Night, and then sang Joy to the World. God is good. Amen. Those are like top three right there. Uh, As you go from here, go celebrate the birth of the Christ child and go with eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ, remembering what that accomplished on our behalf this Christmas season. Amen. And as you go from here, receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Let's sing together.